Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast. The show on which everyday creatives share their unique journeys. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, podcast coach, and also your host. Enjoy the show. And before I introduce our first guest on this episode... I'd like to just remind you that if you are passionate about any specific topic, industry, or just you have a message to spread and you're thinking that podcasting may be that thing for you, quick reminder, I'm a podcasting coach and I help people like you build your brand and share your message. So make sure to reach out to me and schedule a call with me. And now to our episode... We are speaking with a kind volunteer who has been open enough to come onto the show and share her experiences as the client perspective of using plastic surgery and Botox and having her experiences to share with regarding to the medical procedures themselves, as well as what it was like for her as an Orthodox woman to choose and go forth with making decisions like these. And thank you so much, Leah, for coming onto the show. Let's begin and just tell us when was that day that you woke up and you decided today I'm going to do something about the way I look? And feel free to give us background on your life to give some context if it's relevant. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me. I think there's a lot of misinformation or stigma associated with uh, plastic surgery. And so I'm, I'm certainly happy to, to come on here and try to tackle that with you. Um, so I grew up um, in a, in a, black hat, uh, what they would consider yeshivish community, um, in Israel actually. And, um, you know, very, very naive, very sheltered plastic surgery was never discussed. Um, you know, your, your body or, uh, feeling good about it actually never came up in discussion. Um, it was very Torah focused. Um, and there's a lot of beauty to that and I respect it and appreciate it. Um, you know, but to me, there looking back in hindsight, there wasn't a balance. Um, fast forward, um, I ended up leaving Israel and coming to America uh, for high school on my own. I left my family and I ended up uh, living in America since high school. I'm now 39 years old. Um, so, and, and the lifestyle that I have chosen um, is a little bit uh, more modern um, than what I had grown up with. And that's a lifestyle that both my husband and I choose for ourselves. And that's how we raise our family. Um, I started having kids at 19. Um, my second one was at 21. Um, at that point, 
Um, I can say my body bounced back. Um, you know, the elasticity at 19 uh, looks very different than later on. Um, I subsequently got divorced um, and after a few years got remarried and had two more kids, um, the last one being at 37. And I can genuinely say that your body at 19 um, being pregnant is very different than at 37. And it just didn't bounce back like it did. And I was very uncomfortable with it. I felt like I was always hiding um, my body. Um, you know, I would pull up my skirts or my pants above my stomach. Um, gravity was taking effect in places um, that I just felt should not be taking effect. And I know it just comes as a natural process, but if we are given the tools to fight it, um, I believe that we should be able to utilize it. Um, to me, I look at it as no different than makeup. Um, if we get up every morning, you know, and you believe in putting makeup to make yourself more presentable, then why not um, get up and feel presentable in how your body is also. And that's kind of uh, when I started speaking to my husband about the idea of um, a tummy tuck and, and making some nips and tucks. And he, although he didn't feel that it was necessary, he supported, um, you know, my, my wanting to do it and feeling good about myself for that. And we started the journey in um, trying to find someone. I know your journey hasn't been so easy and you had to find several doctors. Would you like to share in a minute or so of what it was like? I, I joined several Facebook groups, um, probably like six Facebook groups that are all plastic surgery related. And I started, you know, doing searches on, um, you know, keywords like New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, like areas close to me. Um, and I had landed on a surgeon. I found him. Um, both my husband, my husband, had gone through the entire process with me, came with me to every appointment, every consultation, every follow-up visit. Um, and we, we liked him. Um, and to this day, I will preface this story by saying, I still believe that he's a skilled surgeon. Um, I did everything he wanted, um, blood work. Um, I stopped all the medication that he asked me to stop. Um, did everything that I needed to do. Um, my husband actually ended up in the hospital with MRSA the week of my surgery. So I had to reschedule it. Uh, I rescheduled it, um, went through the blood work again. He wanted me to, to do it because you need to do it close to when the surgery happens. Um, I, I took leave of absence of work. I found childcare, did everything I was supposed to do, got to the hospital, did my pre-op, um, got wheeled into the OR and was put under anesthesia uh, just to be woken up with the doctor at the other end of the room uh, yelling at me. Um, and that's not an exaggeration, yelling at me, you took turmeric, you're not allowed to take turmeric, I can't do the surgery now. I was in a fog, I'd just been woken up from anesthesia. Suddenly, um, I had been told by several people on the group that turmeric um, is good to help alleviate um, some of the swelling that could go on after surgery. Um, and so I had started taking it. And when the pre-op nurse had come into the room prior to giving me the IV and asked me what I had taken the night before, um, I went through everything and included turmeric. 
because it was my understanding that there was nothing wrong with it. Um, I wasn't trying to hide it. I wasn't trying to be shady. He had never told me I can't take it. He had never supplied me with a list of medications not to take prior to the surgery. And he left the room. He never walked over to me uh, where I was laying, never had a conversation with me. Um, The office manager called me, told me that um, he was no longer going to perform my surgery. Um, I asked if he would be willing to meet with us and speak, and he was not willing to. And that was my saga with the first surgeon. That's crazy. Um, That that, that journey was a little bit uh, traumatizing. It it took a few days to kind of pick myself up off the floor. Um, There was a lot of um, mental stuff that goes on leading up to the surgery. Should I do it? Should I not? Obviously, surgery comes with its risk. I have four kids. I have a child with autism. I have younger children. I have older children. Um, like, am I being selfish in doing it? Then you flip flop to, but I want to, I deserve to feel good about myself. And, you know, should I write my will? You know, you just, there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, will I be able to be there for my kids in the capacity that they need for the weeks after the surgery? And then you finally gather up the courage to do it. And then this happens. It was just, you know, mind blowing. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. You did end up going through with it with another surgeon, correct? I did, yes. And what other procedures or work have you done to yourself? I've done Botox religiously, um, except for the years uh, that I was pregnant. Um, But I started at 29 um, for what many would consider preventative measures, although um, it was probably more for vanity than preventative measures. Um, I've done some fillers. Um, yeah. Now you're doing your teeth and now I'm doing my teeth. I am. I mean, I just started the Invisalign journey. Yeah. Well, your teeth look amazing. Just (laughs) okay. So let's talk a little bit about the experience and you went into this a little bit, but just give us a little more. Why is there stigma specifically within the Jewish community or why there may be, and why would you attribute is there a connection maybe or a correlation between more modern women going and doing work on their body versus more yeshivish women? And you brought this up, I don't know, live or not. It can be a financial thing or it can also be a value thing. I can definitely see someone from a yeshivish background saying this is not a Jewish value. Why are you doing this? Yeah. So I never had really put so much thought into it. So I don't know how cohesive my thought process is on this. Um, you know, I only started thinking about it over the course of the last 24 <laughs> hours since you and I first connected. Um, so if we touch base in a month, I'm sure I'll have thought it through a little bit better. I'll preempt you though, and say that you have thought about not bringing this up to your parents. So something yeah. must have come about. Yeah. So as I had mentioned previously, I did grow up, um, with a more religious black hat upbringing. This was just never discussed. And I never, even after my surgery, I never had a discussion with, let's say, I am close uh, with some more black hat family members. Like we talk daily and they, they know I had surgery, but they know not to say anything. And I never asked them, like, how come you never considered it? You know, so I I don't know if, if finances play a role. And obviously it's not a cheap journey. 
you know, it does, it, it can, the, the price can be costly. And obviously there are people in the yeshivish world that, that can easily afford it. Um, so finances is not always the factor. I think also how you dress might play a role uh, when I think about how I used to dress and I think about, you know, the community around me who's more religious, they tend to not wear more form-fitting clothes. You know, the, the clothes are a little bit looser uh, for modesty reasons. And so how their body looks can maybe more easily be hidden. Maybe there isn't that pressure to, you know, to fit into tighter fitting clothes. So that that can also be factor in that. And I do think that values also plays a big role. You know, like I said, Torah is there's a lot of consideration given to that. And and like I said, we we support that and we give a lot of charity to organizations that support it. It's just not a lifestyle we've chosen for ourselves. And I do think that spending so much time and money and effort into into looking good is an important value that's, that's focused on. It's more about family and it's more about uh, connectivity and not so much about how you feel about yourself as an individual, but about other people around you, like your children, your husband, the community, et cetera. Absolutely. I, and I agree with you, unless it's for Shadduchim, then looks happen to be very important. And that suddenly when men are allowed to look at pictures of women, <laughs> when normally they would never see their pictures in a magazine. Tell me a little bit about, and you went into this, how much of this work have you done for yourself versus doing it for others? Because we just had a boudoir photographer on and her work stays private most of the time. And the women who come to her is usually because they want to love their bodies more and feel more in touch with their sensuality and their sexuality. Okay. So um, I'll touch upon that in a minute. I just want to rewind for a second and say that just because um, you know, when I was talking about the more religious that their values are different, um, I in no way intended that people who are more modern Orthodox like myself are not into connectivity and have good values. I, I've been a board member of our community for many years. Um, I give back to our community extensively. Um, you know, I work, I work with individuals with Alzheimer's. People who are modern Orthodox and into plastic surgery can also be extremely giving um, you know, very, very into their family and community and, and have that balance. So I just want to be clear that there's no stigma that if you're more religious, you're one way and not, you know, more modern, a different way, there's definitely um, intersectionality, regardless of, of your orthodoxy level. Okay. Absolutely. So now that I clarified that I've been thin for many, many years. Um, for probably 20, since I had my first kid, I, I lost like a lot of weight and I've kind of uh, maintained that, um, mostly due to genetics. I can't take credit for it. Um, and, and so I would say that 99% of, well, a hundred percent of people who didn't know about my surgery would still not know about my surgery because to the, to the, to the eye, I don't look any different. I, I haven't lost the pound since the surgery. I still weigh the same. I still wear the same clothes. I still maintain the same wardrobe. Um, I just feel better about myself. So for anyone in the community who doesn't know, 
um, and that's not for lack of me being open about it. It just hasn't come up in conversation. They wouldn't, they don't look at me and see a difference. I didn't start off heavy and then the surgery made me thinner. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't for other people to notice because no one notices it about me. I just see it in myself when I'm in the comfort of my own home. So I would say a hundred percent of it was done for myself. Yeah. And so have you regretted or are you thrilled with your decisions? I'm the type of person who's always, you know, who's always seeking perfection. On the one hand, I seek perfection. On the other hand, I know that perfection is not, not attainable. Um, there's no such thing as perfect. Um, so do I think results can always be better elsewhere? There's always going to be that nagging thought in the back of your mind that maybe if you would have gone to someone else. Um, but I think that if anyone would look at me, um, they would use me as a poster person and say, that's what I want to look like in terms of my tummy tuck. I'm not, I'm not saying me, although I do think I'm pretty awesome. Um, in terms of the tummy tuck, I would say most people would say and look, look and say that it was good results. You could say the other thing is that the Shivish community is less exposed to media, to secular media and secular standards of beauty, whereas modern Orthodox communities are much more involved and inspired by fashion and media standards. So that probably is also the idea of being influenced by non-Jewish value. I, I completely agree with that. And I think the movies that we see and um, even just walking around, you go to Six Flags Great Adventure and you see, you know, or the water park, um, you know, I can, I can say with certainty that um, certain members of my family wouldn't, wouldn't venture to do that, go to those places just to not have that exposure. So um, it becomes less important. Uh, absolutely. I, I think that um, exposure to the world and, and media plays a role in that. Okay. Thank you so much, Leah, for coming on. Thank you for being so open about it. Today, we're speaking with Tova, who is kindly coming on to the podcast to talk about her personal experience with a plastic surgery that might not be actually technically called plastic surgery. But yeah, let's just jump right in. Tell us what it what it was like to actually go through with it. Are you happy that you did it? Sure. So I'm definitely happy that I went through with it. It's a very, very hard process. Um, it is not the easy layout like many people think it is. Um, I actually, like we're saying, I don't know if it's necessarily considered a plastic surgery, but it is weight loss surgery. I had a vertical sleep gastrectomy, which is a weight loss surgery. Um, it takes a lot of emotional energy and physical energy. Um, it's a lot of hard work, but I don't regret it in the least bit. From the day you decided you wanted to do it to actually going through with it, what was the process like? So it was a long process. It was about seven months altogether. Um, you have to do um, all these different um, tests. You have to go see that your primary care physician, your cardiologist. You have to get a psyche valve. You have to go through nutrition classes. You, they make sure that you are 100% ready for this. You have to be all in it. Um, in order to be successful. Um, and from start to finish with all the things that need to be accomplished and all the classes that needed to be done, it took about seven months and it was, it was scary. It was really, really scary, but it was, it was worth every ounce of energy. How old were you when you went through the surgery? Um, so I just turned 29 and, um, next uh, two weeks, I'll be two years out. What was it that pushed you to do it in the end? Was it 
I, I don't know if you're married. I am single. Um, what made me decide that I wanted to do this was I was, first of all, I've always, um, for like a short period of time in high school, I was like a fairly decent weight, but like for the majority of my life, I was overweight and no one enjoys it. You don't feel comfortable. You don't feel good in your own skin. And then when I was 26, my twin sister got married and 24, like about 48 hours before the wedding, I still didn't have a gown because nothing fit or the gown I had that was being made didn't look nice. And then the pictures came back from the wedding and it was just miserable looking. And I was just so ashamed of myself. Um, it was just, that was kind of just the straw that broke the camel's back. And I had known some other people that had done it and I was like, they can do it. I can do it. And I was just, there comes a point when you're just like, I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And just when you're ready, you're ready and just go for it. So you were already an adult and what kind of support system did you have or did you feel like you needed at the time? So my support system was was fantastic. I actually, the program that I was in is called, um, the hospital I had my surgery at was called GBMC and their program, their bariatric weight loss program, um, they have a phenomenal, phenomenal support group. The surgeon is very involved. Her name is Dr. Elizabeth Dovek and the dietitian who is really involved, her name is Jan Wolf. Both of them are fantastic, so supportive, always around to answer questions. Plus they have an online support group for us. And before COVID, obviously we had some, we had uh, once a month in, you know, in-person support groups. Um, and like the whole program is like one big family. Everyone is there to support each other. Um, and I had a family member who actually also had the surgery. So that was really very helpful. And my family was very supportive. Um, so yeah, I mean, thank God you really do need the support. It's really hard to go through on, you know, all on your own. Okay. So I'll ask you this question and feel free to say, I'm not comfortable talking about it or whatever, but how much of this was for you versus for or for what other people think? Sure. I'm happy to answer it because that's a really, that's a really big thing that people need to talk about. I'm so happy because no, I'm so happy to talk about it just because, um, I have to be like super honest that when I first decided to do it, it was definitely a mix of both. When it should have been, I should have made the decision solely because I needed it for me, for my health, for my happiness, for my future, for my, for me. If I'm really, really honest, it's because, hey, I was 27 years old and still single and um, I wasn't happy. Shadchanim were, you know, kindly saying, um, you know, very respectfully, you know, not setting me up because of my weight because, well, that wasn't really attractive. Um, and I do believe everyone has different forms of it, you know, they see, you know, what they see attractive is very different for each person. But at the end of the day, Shad Khanim want to see, you know, a certain cookie cutter look. And um, so, yeah, when I made that decision, it was, I was sick and tired of being told no, but I was also sick and tired of not feeling good in my own skin, not feeling confident. I couldn't date because I wasn't confident. I didn't feel good about myself. Um, and I wanted to. Of course, my goal is to get married and live a happy, healthy, long life with my husband and be around for my children. And I knew that I couldn't even do that. How could you be around for your children if you're morbidly obese? You're on tons of medications. You don't know when the next medical crisis is going to arise. I need to be healthy for myself in order to be healthy for my future. So at the end of the day, it was a little bit of both, but it really should have been, you know, solely because for me, for my health, for my future. But yeah, should have definitely played a role in it. And is there anything you'd like to say for anyone listening who might be, you know, struggling and saying, you know, I tried everything under the sun and I do want to do this for myself. What 
what was it for you that like surgery was the the slam dunk or the yes heck yes i'm i'm in well surgery was definitely the heck yes the slam dunk whatever you want to call it that was surgery really opened up my eyes to a new sense of self-respect a new sense of life no but my question is how like at what point how long did it take you sort of the journey of trying I'm sure you tried other things first surgery Mm -hmm. is sort of the last resort people go to yeah so what was that transition like or when did it happen that you were like you know what surgery is the answer for me that will actually do it for me sure so yeah so surgery um surgery obviously was my last resort it is a big deal you really it's a once you have the surgery you're never you don't have an off day It's, it's constant work day in and day out What's the work like? Like you can't eat certain foods or you're given a, you're given a pretty, um, concrete, um, diet to follow high protein, low carbs, zero to little added sugar. Um, but we're human and we have desires and you see that cake and you want to eat that cake and you see that piece of pizza and you want to eat that piece of pizza. Um, of course you have to live in moderation and you have to find what works best for you. Um, but every single day you have to make those good choices. You don't make those good choices. That weight is going to creep back up onto you. So, um, you know, are you going to make that choice? Do I want that cup of soda or am I going to have a good cup, you know, cup of water or am I going to have a salad with some chicken on top or am I going to have, um, I don't know, whatever, you know? So I'm sorry if I'm completely ignorant, but how does the surgery work? It sounds like a diet. What does the surgery do? <laughs> so it's surgery, what the surgery is. So the, each surgery is different. I had the vertical sleeve gastrectomy and what that is, it's basically, um, you're kind of making a sleeve out of the stomach. So you have your stomach and basically what's being done is it's kind of being, it's being cut off and making, being made into a sleeve and it's kind of, get, it, it's not kind of, it does, it gets pulled out of your belly button. So you have a really, really tiny, small belly and now you can eat only really small portions. So your, the amount you're eating now is completely reduced. Um, and yeah, so you, you're really only eating a very small amount now. And what you are eating, you're making sure now you're only eating the right healthy things. So it's you're forced to follow a certain diet and you don't feel well if you don't. You're not forced to do anything because, yeah. No, I know. But like you feel sick after. Yeah, sure. You will absolutely feel sick. And so do people without surgeries feel sick after they eat. Right. Yeah. But there's what's called a dumping syndrome. And a lot of people do experience that if you eat too high in fat food, yeah, it's vomiting, flu-like symptoms. Um, If you have high fat foods, too much sugar. um, I haven't had a piece of candy in over two years. It's really, um, you really have to be all in it. You just have to know. And I think the fear of getting sick really scares me. I don't want to get sick. I don't want that yucky vomiting feeling. How does it work with, you know, pregnancies and there's no issue at all. No, issue, no at all. issue at all. Nope. Not at all. Um, they do say the wait about, um, 12 months wasn't issue because I wasn't dating anyone. Um, they just want to make sure you're completely healthy and that you've lost a significant amount of weight and not significant, a, you know, a certain amount of weight prior to make sure that you're able to get in your, you know, proper nutrition because you can only take in so much. You obviously want to make sure you can take in enough for you and baby. Um, but yeah, and it actually increases fertility. They actually, um, doctors actually say have weight loss surgery. If people suffer with PCOS, they're overweight, having a hard time conceiving. This is definitely one of those procedures that have improved fertility. 
Wow. I've never heard of yeah. that one before. Yes. <laughs> so how much does the surgery cost? Can I ask? Um, I don't know. My, my insurance actually did cover the whole thing. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm Incredible. fairly lucky for that. Um, there are certain requirements and if you, you know, if you fall into those requirements, um, most insurances will pay for, um, I don't have to pay for the whole thing, but they'll pay for a good chunk of it. And it makes sense because they're incentivizing the prevention of heart disease, sure. like diabetes. Exactly. Do you disclose that to Shat Khanim now? And do you feel like that's something also that would attract a no as well? When I had the surgery, I made a decision that this is, this is a big part of me and I'm not going to hide it. It's scary because I was told no, you know, I was told no before when I, when I was overweight and, you know, didn't have the surgery and I'm being told no, because, well, you had the surgery. Well, this is me. Take it or leave it. So, um, I, I actually participated in two public, um, um, events through my, through the hospital that I had the surgery at. Um, and that went public. That was, um, that was very public was on the news. Um, and I also wrote an article and I published it in our community newspaper. Um, and this is me. So no, I'm not ashamed of it. And it's scary that, yes, I do get no's because I had the surgery, but I do believe that I did the right thing and I don't regret it regardless of the answers I'm getting. Yeah. After I asked the question, I was like, that was the stupidest question ever. It's, It's like the question that comes up on this podcast all the time anyway, you know? It's saying no, just because of that one thing. It's like, no, that became who I am. Like I made a lot of decisions. This, this actually describes a lot of my, my strengths and what I've gone through that saying no to that is like rejecting the whole me because it became such a big part of who I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It may be a little bit different, I think, because you know, didn't sign up for this. It's not like this is your passion, <laughs> but it may have right. become your passion over time. It has. It has. I'm, I'm fairly passionate about it. It's uh, once it becomes part of your, it's, it's my life. This is it. Like, yeah. Embrace it. it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tova, for sharing. Sure, my pleasure. Absolutely. We are speaking with Mayrav now, who has kindly offered to come onto the show and talk about her personal experiences as she has chosen to do elective rhinoplasty surgery. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Okay, so can you just get us all on board with what goes on in a woman's head? And I'm sure there's a lot we can relate to. How do you go from I don't like my nose to I'm going to actually invest in changing what it looks like? I'm going to go under the knife and do something about it. Well, it's definitely not a spontaneous decision. It's something that, at least for me, has been something that I wasn't happy with, specifically my nose, since I would say high school time, where appearances start to become important, especially when, you know, you are old enough to realize that certain things could be changed and enhanced and make yourself look better. And it definitely affected my confidence, even though I always had confidence, but I always wanted a little bit more. And it it bothered me. It was an insecurity that I had when I took pictures, when I saw myself on video. I used to change different angles in order to accommodate so that it wouldn't be that visible. But of course, you know, there, especially back then, there weren't filters. And... Uh, 
And I mean, in real life, you, you, you know, you want to look perfect without filters. So that was my goal. And, um, how old were you? Believe you it or not, it was something that was done, um, after I had kids, it wasn't something that I said, Oh, I have to do it before I get married or, you know, I was already married. There was no reason to change anything. You know, a lot of girls want to get things done in order to look perfect to find a, a spouse. But I, no matter what, it was something for myself that I wanted to do. So I was 36 when I got it done. It took three months for me to find a doctor. And uh, it was kind of divine providence where I made an appointment with, with a doctor and then I had to, I basically switched doctors last minute because my first instinct meeting the doctor, I wasn't comfortable with him, but I did get a referral. So that in a way put me at ease, but I still didn't feel comfortable enough to say, okay, I'm confident with this doctor. What I made, went to a restaurant. What was it? What was it that made you uncomfortable? It's just, first of all, his, his waiting room was empty. It wasn't COVID time. So there's no reason to be seen separately. It was, you know, I was 36. I'm not going to tell you how many years ago it was, but whatever it is, I mean, you know, when you come into a doctor's office, especially a plastic surgeon, you expect to see a few people there at the waiting room or coming in, coming out. It was completely empty. But at the same time, I got a referral from my dermatologist, which, you know, when one doctor recommends you to another doctor, you definitely take the referral seriously. I I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't a good click with him. Right. I didn't feel so confident that he's actually gonna do the job that I want him to do. So a few days later I was out at a restaurant with my sister and the waitress, um, who was so beautiful. She came to our table and my sister happens to know her. And she, and she said, Mayrav, she, she just got her nose done two months ago. And I'm like, are you serious? Oh my gosh. That's amazing because I'm about to get my nose job and let me, let me get this doctor. Let me speak to him and see where he's at, what he's about. So she gave me all that information and I booked an appointment a few days later and I ended up getting the nose job done with him. Okay. So do you feel comfortable sharing how much it cost? Um, it was about 8,000 wow. back then. Back then. And did you have to get your husband on board? What was that yes. like? So, I mean, financially, it was definitely something that I didn't necessarily need to ask him for the money because we we have an agreement where it's our money, but I really needed him to be on board with supporting me in the process of getting it done where the entire time, because him and I knew each other a few years before we were married and he knew how I felt about my nose, but he always kept on saying, hey, Rob, you don't need a nose job. You're beautiful blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I just felt like, I don't care what you say. I want it and I need it. And I just basically changed his mind and I didn't want to do it without his agreement. And after the nose job, him and I made, you know, we discussed how it's going to be because I didn't want him to see me all black and blue and bruised and swollen. So 
basically, we both agree that if I come into a room, I will let him know. If he comes into a, a kitchen, he needs to, so we, you know, it was almost as if we were in living in the same house, but he didn't see me for six days until wow. the stitches came off and until the bandages came off, until I put the concealer on and until I looked presentable. Wow. What a story. So looking back, are you thrilled with your decision? Very. And I highly, 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 highly advise that if anybody wants to get anything done, of course, you know, if you are married, get your spouse to support you um, and just do it. It really is liberating. It makes you feel like, you know, nothing you should, you should really feel unstoppable. And after getting it done, it, it, there's, there's no price on confidence. There really isn't. That's true. People invest a lot of money in coaching so they can get the confidence they need to charge for their services. We talk a lot about that on this podcast with artists. Let me ask you one more question. What do you think about underage or young women who are considering having a nose job done for the purpose of founding, finding a spouse or for the purpose of dating? I advise it. I suggest it. I would support every, any, any and every surgery that needs to be done in order to improve, enhance, and just, you know, physically and also mentally. You know, I, I think, and I know that there's definitely is a, a very, very strong link between physical and mental. The way you look is the way you feel and vice versa. So definitely just do it. And one more question. If you are okay sharing with us a little bit about your background, did you grow up Orthodox? Um, what kind of Orthodoxy are you a part of? So I grew up Orthodox from birth and, um, I met my husband who was from a more from background. He's Lubavitch. And um, I, I was just inspired by him, by, by his, you know, the Chabad movement, by just doing a lot of chesed and a lot of mitzvot and just, you know, looking good also. And if you're, you know, if, if there's a saying that if, it's important, you know, if you're happy, you do mitzvah. And how are you happy if you are, you know, you're not automatically happy. If whatever you do will make you happy. If you need to do things in order to make you happy, and then it will yield you and cause you to make more mitzvot, then it's a win-win situation. And for girls who would like to enhance their appearance or change certain things that they're not happy with, if that will make you happy, then there's nothing else in the world that can make you happy unless you change certain things, no matter what people tell you. At the end of the day, you live with yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror, and if you want to change something, it's definitely achievable. Hey, thank you so much, Mayra. This was perfect. Thank you for coming on. Sure, my pleasure. And I'll keep you posted on any other... Surgeries. surgeries are you thinking of anything um you know when you age are there obvious changes and um they're not always for the best but everything right now at this point is accessible and um 
yeah, I mean, I'm hoping I won't need, but I'm not in denial. So like I said, we'll be in touch. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Our next guest today on the show is the voice, the woman, the representative, the only representative on this episode who will be talking vocally against an anti-Botox and plastic surgery. This is my grandmother. Welcome back to the show, Simi Brody. Hi, it's good to be here. Thank you. It's so nice to have you back. So um, my mother listened to Botox and Plastics episode one. She called me this morning, Arif Shabbos, and said, you know, you should really have someone really representing the other side. So I said, well, our next episode, we have some women talking about their experiences. So we're grabbing you into this episode because you have built a reputation for being vocally against doing work on your face, on your body. So I'd love to hear in just a couple of minutes what your experience has been, what your thoughts are. The floor is yours. So I wouldn't say I'm against doing things to yourself to make yourself look beautiful. I'm assuming that the reason that you're doing the Botox, because you think you it would make you more beautiful than you already are. So I think that that is more of a psychological problem than an actual physical problem, because there are certain things that we might as well just accept. You don't know a 20-year-old whose skin is as soft as a two-year-old. You don't know a 70-year-old whose skin is as smooth as a 20-year-old. It's never going to happen, no matter what you do. And smooth skin is only appropriate where, um, where the age goes with it. Age comes with time. That's the meaning of age. And we definitely do get wrinkled. That's what's supposed to happen to our skin. That doesn't mean you can't look beautiful. It doesn't mean you shouldn't get dressed every day and put on your makeup. And by the way, this is just my opinion. Anybody can, of course, do whatever he wants. But my experience is that when I see someone who's had Botox, I see that she has trouble smiling. She has trouble wrinkling her forehead. She has trouble showing expression and something's just missing. I don't know who she is anymore. First of all, I don't recognize her exactly. Something swollen, something's out of place. It just doesn't work anymore. And after it's done a few times, it starts to look weird. So I don't think that it's worth, let's say you start it when you're in your 20s, which is what I hear is happening now. By the time you're in your 30s, half the people are just going to be quiet. They're not going to know what to say. And the other half of the people are going to either not notice or be horrified. And by the time you're in your 70s, who are you anymore? Wow, that's powerful. Have you considered doing anything else? Um, have you thought about any other, any plastic surgeries? For myself, not really. I mean, I, yeah, of course I thought about it. I live, I live in this world and I read what's going on and I follow fashion. I just... Um, it, it just never seemed to speak to me. No, I I, I don't like to. I, I think surgery is um, is an amazing thing. If somebody's sick and the doctors can help you get better, 
but to take a healthy person and put himself into a danger. No, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to me. Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming onto this episode and bravely speaking your mind. I know you are in the minority on this episode. (laughs) I see that I am. No, not only in the episode, it's becoming a really major business, a great source of income for plastic surgeons and Botox distributors and et cetera. But I could also see it being anyone who is at all in the semi leadership role in Judaism may want to be anti it because, you know, we don't have to go and go under the knife to make ourselves more beautiful. Hashem Hashem made us just the way we are. And this is, these are influences from Hollywood and media, and this is not Jewish. I can see how the whole idea of Botox and plastic surgery, somebody disregarding as something gayish, as something secular. The only way that I could see that it has anything to do with religion is maybe because we're not supposed to um, we're not supposed to make a tattoo on ourselves and we're not supposed to cut ourselves for because it was had something to do with Avodah Zara. But my so, yeah, I, I never thought of it that way. I never thought it was a Jewish issue, but certainly God has something to do with it. And what do we really want? We want our grandchildren to think we look like their sisters. It's not happening. Wake up. This is it. Enjoy life. <laughs> it's very nice to get old. If you're lucky. If you're blessed. Well, it's it's nice and liberating to hear that from somebody who has lived and who is living a long, beautiful life, and you are still beautiful, and you radiate beauty all around you. Thank you so much, Especially with your art. So thank you so much for coming on. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, and if you're listening on an iPhone, leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to reach out about my music, coaching, or podcast services, email me at franciscak at gmail.com. Also, check out the show notes for all the links. See you next time.